So take your Bible and open to Genesis 19. If you have the text, the liturgy also has the whole, ch- well, it's not the whole chapter, but most of the chapter is in there as well. You can turn your, phone, your Bible on your phone if, you, if that's helpful. If you want the text, there's some copies over there. Feel free to grab one of those. But yeah, we've got a lot to study this morning in Genesis 19. Really, it could have taken the whole chapter, but here we are. Verses 1 through 29 this morning as we continue walking through the whole book of Genesis. Verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom. Remember, Sodom is notoriously wicked, a sinful place. Genesis 13 says that Sodom set themselves against the Lord. It's not just that they're walking in ignorance or they don't know about God. The text says they set themselves against the Lord. And so in choosing to sin, they're pushing away from God and rebelling against him. That's Sodom. Okay, so they went to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may arise up early and go on your way. And they said, No. We'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. You'll recall the two angels here in Genesis are the same servants that accompanied God. Just the previous chapter. They accompanied God to visit Abraham. Okay? And God had appeared in human form with these two angelic servants. You'll remember in chapter 18, verse 22, God and Abraham pause. Remember, Abraham talks to God and he says, hey, if you can find some righteous people there, 50, 45, 40, 30, how about 10? 10 righteous people, will you spare the city? And what did God say? Yes or no? Yes, if I can find 10 who are walking in the way of the Lord, I'll spare the wicked. I will not destroy them. And in that moment, the two servants, they kept going, the text tells us, towards Sodom. And now we see they've arrived. It's in the evening when they arrive. That is when the darkness is coming on the city. And they're there investigating. Remember, the outcry came to the Lord. The sin came up to God. He heard of the sin and he came to investigate. He sends his heavenly servants to investigate the sin. And what are they looking for? Ten righteous people. And so as we study this text, we should be thinking, are there any righteous in Sodom? That's what we're looking for. Okay, that's what the angels are looking for. It tells us when Lot, when they get there, Lot is sitting in the gate. He's That's where he's at, right at the gate. And it's not just a remark. In the ancient Near East at this time, the judges and officials and leaders in the city would camp out right at the gate. They would sit down there so that if anybody have a grievance or they need help with a judgment or just some advice in the city, they'd go to the gate and meet with the officials. And so it seems like Lot... If you remember the last time we heard about Lot living in Sodom, well, the first time he put his tent there, just near it. 
And then the second time we hear, he, he's there close enough that when the city is conquered, what happened to him? Yeah, he was taken. And Abraham had to go rescue him. Now, he's an official, it looks like, in the city. He has some kind of influence. We're going to see he doesn't have very much moral influence. But he has really rooted into Sodom. In fact, he doesn't have a tent anymore. He's got a house in Sodom. And as the angels approach Lot, he begins to respond in similar ways as Abraham responded to these heavenly beings. Remember, Abraham rose. Behold, he saw, he rose, he ran fast to meet these people, and he recognized one of them was the Lord. Now the Lord is no longer in the company, but Lot does a similar thing. He rises up to go meet the visitors, and we'll notice with a little less haste. Remember in Genesis 18, it was about how fast Abraham wanted to meet them and bless them and give them food and hospitality. Here, Lot is a little less haste, maybe. But Lot also extends some hospitality to these heavenly beings. But we, we see some differences between Abraham and Lot. Abraham asked God and the heavenly servants Come to my house if you would be gracious to me. Remember that? I don't deserve you to come into my house, but if you would be gracious, would you stay? Lot, though, it says he strongly urged them. He pressured them. You don't want to go where you're going. Come to my house. Come. You need to come into my house. And the men agree to go with Lot. And why would Lot put such pressure on these men, not mention anything about grace, but say, no, no, listen, you got to come with me? Why? Why would he not want them to go into the heart of the city? Well, know this, he has influence there. He lives there. Do you think he knows what's going on in the city of Sodom and how wicked it is? He knows that these heavenly beings will not be safe there. Listen, if you go where you're going, it's going to go bad. Turns out he was right. We're going to find out. He knew what the city would be up to. In 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8, it's very interesting. The apostle talks about Lot. And he tells us that the unrighteousness in Sodom tormented Lot. It it distressed him. It grieved him. And so Lot, he has this moral compass, when he looks what's going on in the city, he says, listen, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And it gives him anxiety and and stresses him out. And so he's not unaware of the wickedness. And so his movement is to try to protect these foreigners. Listen, you don't want to end up in the hands of these people in Sodom. You need to come to my house. It's almost like he like, You know, he covers them up with a blanket and leads them to his house. He doesn't want the city to know where they are. He offers them a feast. Why do I mention this? The feast. It's because the word feast is usually used for this great banquet. Like, who set a wonderful feast before heavenly hosts? 
Remember, it had a young calf and yummy bread and even cheese curds. Who did that? Abraham. He set this bounty before the heavenly host. But all that Lot offers is some unleavened bread. Because remember, you're going to go to sleep, and then tomorrow morning, you're getting out of here. So he's trying to protect them. Turns out things don't go as planned. Look at verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house, and they called out to Lot. They know who Lot is. They know where his house is. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Before they even get to rest. Remember Abraham, he wanted the host to come to him so they could have rest in the shades of these wonderful oaks of Mamre. And they were chilling, hanging out. But here, before they can even get any rest, the house is surrounded by these wicked people. And the text is clear. These are the men of Sodom. All the men. How old? Well, young and old. To the last man. Everyone is gathering around this house. We can't take this to mean that every single man was there. Because two, some men are missing. We're going to find out. The, those betrothed to Lot's daughters, they're not there. It doesn't seem like they're there. However, this, what it's saying is, listen, the whole city's represented. The whole, the whole people are there. So if you're not going to find one righteous in this group, you're not going to find anybody righteous in Sodom. Does that make sense? It's like him saying, like, everyone was there, except for a couple people. So they're looking for a righteous person in this group. Will one of them be found? And the men who are there, they call out looking, asking where these visitors are. Apparently this angelic duo had caused quite a stir. Social media was lighting up in Sodom. Hey, there's these two angelic servants who are here. You know, where are they? Wait, I heard they're at Lot's, group text. And everybody comes around Lot's house. And they're demanding that Lot bring the guests out so that they may know them. While the Hebrew here means to know, it's a nuanced knowing. It's the knowing that you get through intimacy. The New Living Translation just cuts straight to the point and translate this verse like, as follows, they shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. That's what the Hebrew means. And I notice, I'm going to try to talk carefully. We have some children in our midst. So the city, these men of Sodom, that's what they're up to. They want We don't skip any text as we preach through a book of the Bible, right? So this is kind of hard, but they want to force these two men into this activity with them. We have a four-letter word for what this is called. That's what's going on here. And this gift, this action was given by God 
as part of his good creation. You remember Adam and Eve. God told them, be fruitful and multiply. He brought them together. He made them one flesh, one man, one woman. He brings them together in the garden. He says, listen, enjoy this gift and multiply and fill up the earth. Okay? There is never, ever, even a hint in Scripture that homosexual behavior or homosexual desire blesses God. Not even a hint. I want to speak as lovingly as possible. This is not a touchy issue because the Bible thinks it is. The Bible is abundantly clear on the issue and does. I have no apology for what Scripture says. However, our culture forces it on us and makes us think that it is a touchy issue. And anyhow, both the Old and New Testament confirm that homosexual, homosexual movement is unrighteousness. It distorts God's good creation, that the desire is a corrupt desire by the fall, and that it leads to an improper use of a good gift. We know Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Romans 1, 1 Timothy 1, and so on. Not only are the men in Sodom throughout the generations embracing this sinful act. But they're also attempting to force these two men into this act with them. It's grotesque. Terrible. Ezekiel the prophet, he tells us that the people in Sodom were shameless in their open debauchery. Shameless. They didn't care. That's Ezekiel 16. And the prophet goes on and he says, that's not the only issue in Sodom. Lest we think that's the only issue that they're struggling with. They were also guilty of not caring for the poor. Isaiah says they were oppressive to those in need, Isaiah 1.10. Jeremiah says the people of Sodom embraced adultery as well, lying, that they aided criminals instead of victims. When a, someone oppressed a victim, they aided the one who was oppressing, not the one who was being oppressed. That's in Jeremiah 23. And so we get a picture here of Sodom's sinfulness. It's all-encompassing. Remember, Genesis 13, they set themselves against the Lord. And if you choose to set yourself against the Lord, there's no end to where it will lead. And that's what we see in Sodom. Verse 6. More to say on this in a moment. Lot went out to the men at the entrance. That is to his house. He stepped out of the house. He shut the door after him like a wall, a protector. He said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man let me bring them out to you that known is the same, same way, same understanding, and do to them as you please. What? Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So he comes out, he shuts the door, he's trying to protect them. So we give Lot a little bit of credit. He's trying to protect these angels. That's admirable. And he has three attempts, you saw them as we read, three stabs at convincing these men to turn away from what they're wanting. First, he pleads with them. 
And he says, my brothers. Now that doesn't mean he, he equates himself as, as we are brothers in Christ and sisters. That's not, he's just trying to get on equal ground with them in some way. And he says, don't do this wicked thing. He pleads with shameless sinners not to sin. I don't know how that's going to go. But, you know, revisionists, a revisionist is someone who takes Holy Scripture and he begins or she begins with this idea and then she or he wants to make Scripture say this idea. We don't do that. We go to Scripture and we see what Scripture says. Revisionists tell us the sin of Sodom was not homosexuality. That's not what the text says. Actually, the issue was they didn't want to be hospitable. The problem with that is Lot just said, what you want to do is a wicked thing, a sinful thing. If you want to read more about what Scripture says about homosexuality, what revisionists try to say about it, and where we can step in to the world with love and grace and mercy and show people the beauty of God instead of the terribleness of sin. I've got, they're on the soundboard. There's some pamphlets that I printed out. Really helpful information. So if you're curious, you want to read more about this, you can take that and read it, and then we'll just go from there. So I encourage you to, if you want, to take those. So he begs them not to do the second. He offers his daughters. This should just twist our stomach. He knows what's going on. And he says, listen, you can have my daughters. They're virgins. Lot is kind of backed against a wall or a door. Um, the Mosaic law, the tradition of the people of Israel, it says that a husband or father cannot give his daughters to elicit sexual immorality. Can't do that. But at the same time, the tradition is you have to care for a foreigner in your midst. So he's got these two issues that he's trying to deal with. And so he makes this attempt, have my, have my daughters. This is not the right thing to do. He's kind of in a sinful mess and he can't find his way out. He's kind of blundering around. Third and finally, Lot implores the wicked people, just be hospitable like me. They're in my house, just honor that. Verse nine, do they? But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge. What they're saying is, you're not one of us, Lot. Clearly, you're not one of us. You're going to judge me. And then it says, now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. You can imagine it. He's standing against this door trying to protect these people and they're pushing against him. Then they pressed hard against him. But, verse 10, the men, that is the men inside the house, reached out in their hands and they brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they wore themselves out, groping for the door. So the crowd, they will hear none of it. They want the men. They want the sin and the brokenness of God's gifts distorted. They won't let Lot, someone who's not a sodomite, judge them. They've set themselves against God fully, and they want to live in their rebellion. And Lot can do nothing to save himself. 
He can't do anything to save the people in his house. But the two servants, they can do something to save him. And they reach out, they pull him in. And as they do this, the text in the Hebrew, it's almost like this idea of this bright light. Boom. Nobody can see. Nobody can see. They're confounded in their efforts. These heavenly servants intervene and rescue this man who's living in this unrighteous city and just has no way out of sin. There's no way. When he tries to make a way, he gives his daughters. But these servants reach out and rescue him. Everybody with me? Yeah, good. It's good stuff. Hard, but good. And we'll see the gospel is in this passage. Verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. Do you remember when Noah was rescued? Who else was rescued with him? His family was rescued. Similar thing going on here. God is concerned with your family. God is concerned with your children and your extended family. Okay, verse 13. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry, there it is, the sin against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, turns out they were betrothed. Not only were his daughters his daughters and virgins, but they had been promised to other men. Get up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. That is joking around. They thought he was joking. So after being witnesses of the rampant sin amongst the people, the heavenly servants explain what's about to go down. Clearly there's no one righteous, not even 10. And so the destruction is going to come. And so they tell Lot, get your family together. And Lot goes, he tries, he gets the word out to his his sons-in-laws. We got to get out of here. It's going to be destroyed. But they think he's joking. They think the judgment of God is just a joke. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus tells us that when God's judgment fell on Sodom, the people were just going about their lives as normal. They didn't think it was really going to happen. No sinner wants to be told that judgment is imminent. While the men outside Lot's house were struck blind, the entire city had a spiritual blindness to the reality of what they faced in their wickedness. And brothers and sisters, we live in a time with a great spiritual blindness that captures our society. The culture is living as if there will never be judgment for our choices. There's no shame for sin. And there's actually the opposite, a glorifying of sin, an embrace of sin, Romans 1, a loving of sin because there's a blindness to the reality that sin leads to destruction. Jesus said as much in Luke 17. But we know that God hears the outcry of sin. We know that God judges all who stand against him and no sin, listen, None of my sin will be left unaccounted for. All sin is accounted for in some judgment. And we think of the cross here. Verse 15, let's let's move on. I'm going to read this big chunk. 
As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, notice they urged him. They urged him, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. Uh-oh. So the men, they, they seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. It's like they dragged him out. No, 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 you're not going to go down with this ship. Come with us. And they drag him out. And as they brought him out, one said, escape with your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. The whole thing is going to be destroyed. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, you can see him kind of like dragging his feet, right? Oh, no, lords. That's what he says. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You've shown me a great kindness in saving my life. But... You've asked too much of me. I can't escape to the hills. You know how high that is? That's quite a climb. So lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Verse 20, behold, this city is near enough to flee to. And it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not just a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, him, so this is one of the servants, behold, I grant you this favor also. I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So as morning dawns, there's an urgency from these angels. You got to get out of here. We read this. Oh, no. Uh, sorry. He, we read this. Escape. Take up your family. Get out of here. Escape your life. Don't look back. Escape to the hills. Escape there quickly. There's an urgency to flee judgment. An urgency to take the path out of destruction. That's what the text is saying. But even in this urgency, we see that Lot lingered. They had to drag him out of the town. And even when he's out of the town, they're like, this is serious. Get out of here. He's like, that's quite, a, that's quite a demand on me. Can I go to this teeny little city over here? So he's lingering. Most importantly, though, we see the mercy of God, the grace of God. Once Lot lingers in the city, the angels grab him and drag him out. They even give him his request. Okay, fine. Go to that city. The grace of God drags a hesitant Lot out of this sinful city facing judgment. 23, verse 23, we're almost through the text. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Listen, this is not an earthquake. This is not a volcanic eruption destroying Sodom. This is God sending a fire on the city. And if you go and you Google Sodom, Gomorrah, destruction, you're going to find non-biblical scholars, archaeologists, and so on, who say there's two cities in this area that somehow were destroyed by fire. This is a work of God. Okay? He brings the judgment down. Verse 25, And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, that's behind Lot, and she became a pillar of salt. God's judgment comes as he promised. Remember he told Abraham, I will destroy the city if I can't find any righteous. Turns out, can't find anybody righteous. And Lot and his family, they get to escape all of them except for his poor wife, 
who looked back. What that shows us is Lot's wife, we know very little about her. In fact, this is all we know about her. But here's what we can figure out. She, while her body was running from the destruction and the judgment and the sin, her heart wanted it. She wanted what Sodom offered. She wanted the wickedness. And so she was judged as well. Verse 27 to the end of our passage. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of the furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, here's the key. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So these three concluding verses, they bring us back to the beginning where Abraham started with God. And Abraham finds out, I guess no one was righteous. I guess they were all enemies of God. However, though the wicked citizens could not be saved, verse 29 says, God remembered Abraham and spared Lot. God's grace, it reached into the heart of the city. And on account of a righteous person out here, Lot was saved. Listen, because God is faithful to his covenant partner, Lot was saved. Do you get that? This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's rightful judgment falls on those who set themselves against him and who refuse to turn from sin as pictured in Lot's wife. She refused. The Old Testament, it returns again and again and again and again to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah to show us God seriously judges sin. Seriously. In Matthew 11, Jesus tells unrepentant people, the same will come to you. Worse, that's what he says. To cling to sin, to want sin more than God, the judgment comes. Peter says the same thing in his second epistle, chapter 2. His whole epistle, Peter's whole epistle, is trying to convince people that judgment is really coming. Sodom and Gomorrah, listen, they've been destroyed. They have been destroyed by the fire. They are gone. But they stand, even now, as we look at Genesis, they stand as a testimony to all who set themselves against God and choose the way of death. We may not be living in Sodom and Gomorrah, but all of humanity, apart from the miraculous work of God, all of humanity is lost in sin. Without God's grace, without God's faithfulness, we are citizens of the kingdom of darkness, of Sodom. Ephesians 2 tells us all of this. Without the saving grace of God, we're dead and lost in sin. We follow the way of the world instead of the way of God. We're enslaved to the prince of death sons and daughters of disobedience. We all break God's moral will. We all misuse God's good gifts. We all hurt and oppress. How do we know that's true? Because we've all been hurt. We've all been oppressed. We see it in our world. 
Ephesians 2 says that we're guilty of carrying out the desires of the flesh instead of coming to the will of God. Listen, we might not all embrace homosexuality or, or sexual immorality, but we are all just as guilty of rejecting God and pushing away from God. And so when we meet someone who struggles with this particular sin, or even someone in the church who struggles with this particular sin, we don't look down on them or hate them or speak meanly or rudely about them. We love them and we show them the grace of God, the beauty of what God has made. And we pray that God would open their eyes of their spiritual blindness. We are careful to always love. But we're all destined for the same future as Sodom without God's grace. Just as God sent two heavenly servants to render judgment on Sodom, God is sending his heavenly servant again. And this time his servant will be his only begotten son. Matthew 25, verse 31, scripture tells us the Son of Man is coming with a host of heavenly servants to judge not just one city, nor just two cities, but all nations and peoples. Everyone will stand before the judgment of God and the wicked will be put away forever. Fire will once again fall. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. But there's good news, brothers and sisters. There's good news in a story filled with fire and judgment and sin and death. God's one and only son has already come. Jesus entered into the world filled with children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience, and moral immorality of all kinds. Jesus walked to the heart of the city because he could find no place to rest his head. And he walked through the world without coming to righteousness. And in the end, the men of the city, his own people gathered around him. They, they seized him and took him to the courts. And they tried him, and he was found innocent. And at the, there was a custom at that time where the judge would release someone for the Jewish people. And the judge, he says, hey, take this righteous man, have him. No, 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 they said, we want wickedness. Give us Barabbas, crucify him. And Jesus died on a cross. And when he died, he did it in fulfillment of scripture and payment for our sins. Every sin of all kinds who come to Christ. You see, Jesus came in the world to bear that judgment for us so that the fate of Sodom doesn't fall on us. He let the fire fall on him. And on the cross, Jesus said to God, forgive them. Jesus is our path out. He is the plan of salvation. He's the savior of those destined to wrath. And he says, run. Flee, make haste to put faith in me, lest you be destroyed. This is the gospel. We're saved because our sins have been forgiven when we acknowledge that we need and that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. We're never saved because of our righteousness. We see that in Lot. His best righteous efforts, not so great. Unleavened bread, can't protect his guests, offers his daughters. But God didn't save Lot because of Lot. God saved Lot because he was faithful to his covenant made to Abraham. And we are saved in the same way. We don't earn our freedom from wrath. It's given to us 
we are spared on the account of another. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, believing he is the Son of God and believing he died for our sins and rose to give us life, God spares us. This is the new covenant. We are redeemed because God is faithful to his Son. Jesus saves us from the clutches of death by dragging us up into life. And here we're transferred from the kingdom of Sodom to the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of earth to the kingdom of heaven. And here we are transformed from one glory to another, always learning to live in the beauty of what God has made instead of the corruption of what God has made. And we go to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and the people in our community who are lost in sin, destined to the wrath of God, and we tell them with all the love and grace and kindness of God, we tell them, Jesus is your way to salvation. Emmaus and friends, I call on us today to flee now, escape the wrath to come by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me?